You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hayeri and Darren Venter, founders of the investors agency and Debar. With over 20 years experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future through property. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 11 of the Lazy Equity Podcast. I'm super excited to have my partner in crime, Darren Venter, on the show today. Thanks a lot for joining us, mate. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me again. It's been a while. It has been a while, mate. Uh, I guess I need to apologize to the listeners and to and to you. We've had a, uh, I think we've had maybe a three-month hiatus on the uh on the show since since the last one and you were overseas for a while i was on paternity leave we've got a new setup in the podcast room so all this took a took a few months but i'm super excited to be back in the uh, in the studio recording a lot of people are probably thinking that that hiatus means we're well prepared but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see how we go we'll see how we go man i'm sure we're going to unpack a lot of uh, a lot of value today so pretty much today what we want to do for the listeners is we want to talk about the budget. I know that was released a few weeks ago now, but there's a few things in there that are super relevant to property investors. It was in general quite a um, conservative budget, which yeah, people were expecting with the level of inflation that's going on and so forth. But there were some things in there that we do want to unpack. And we're not just going to un- unpack it with our opinion, but rather just data and facts, because I know that's where your strengths lie as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. That uh, sounds good to me. And obviously, uh, it was quite a mediocre budget release. And What's more expected from Labor, right? Really? <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's not let's not get too political uh, here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so on top of the uh, on top of the budget, we'll also just touch very briefly on on inflation and interest rates. Although there's been lots of commentary yeah. on that already, but it's sort of relevant. And we're going to touch on migration because that's one of the things that we want to unpack that's directly related to the budget as, as well. So we might as well get stuck straight into it, eh? Let's go. Perfect. So. I guess in terms of the the federal budget, there were a few things that few things that were announced, and I want to touch on I want to touch on one of the things predominantly being the three hundred and fifty million dollars that was spent by the Labor government for the new housing accord. Yeah. Now that's three hundred and fifty million dollars that the federal government is is contributing with the state governments, and that's quite a big deal in a sense that it's the first time we're seeing the government essentially admit that they need to be responsible for providing the supply of housing within the country. And what they're doing there is they're teaming up with the superannuation funds, which has never happened before. They're teaming up with the construction industry, which has never happened before. And essentially they're going to be, they're going to be providing up to 20,000 affordable houses across Australia. So that's, um, that's destined to start. And that's obviously going to provide some supply to the market, but that's nothing like the one million that they've pronounced that they're going to do as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, any step forward is a step forward in the right direction in this instance. I think um, coming forward into not just the, the long-term future, but the immediate future, if you're looking at the sort of the next three to five years from now, we've, we've got a big deficit on our hands of, of housing supply for the market. And, you know, with our immigration uh, ramping in the way that it does and the way that it's expected to, probably going to be there for a while more. Uh, we've got some numbers which we can crunch into in a bit, but yeah. uh, a step in the right direction is always a right step. You know, the, the fact that they are going into the super funds to get assistance on, on performance or rather on uh, releasing that, that available cash to bolster one of the strongest economies in Australia, being the housing market, yeah. it is, uh, it's obviously seen that that's a, a good tangible asset class to 
put attention into into the, the future of Australia's economy as well. Yeah, well, I think um, you said one of the most sort of valuable asset classes. Well, I, I, I'm aware the Australian property market is worth about $9 trillion, whereas the Australian super, super, Australian super is worth $3 trillion. So when we think about how valuable the Australian property market is to the everyday Australian household, yeah. it's three times bigger than their, than their super. That says a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it almost says that the, you know, we, we, we say it often in the sense that the property market in Australia is almost too big to fail. Yeah. We saw that during COVID when they propped up the, the economy and, and um, obviously it was running too hot, which is why things are happening the way they are now, but they're doing what they can to bring it back into control. Yeah. What we can see. And a lot of that is driven by the population movement that we do expect to see coming forward. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for population movement into Australia. And that kind of, uh, there's basically a push and a pull factor to every sort of economic reaction, right? Yeah. The pull factor uh, is obviously the factor that we, the fact that Australia has a really well-structured economy yeah. and it is supportive to um, a lot of, you know, families and even through the last budget release, uh, single mums uh, and a lot of sort of housing support around that as well, and yeah. education support and as well as, Childcare child support, care support yeah. exactly. So that is a pull factor, but a push factor again is when you look at the rest of the world, what's going on inside or around, you know, Asia with the Taiwan war in China, which is said to be pronounced. What's happening in the Ukraine with Russia at the moment? Yeah, uh, Europe's going through a hardship at the moment because obviously gas and energy, and so are we. Yeah, but uh, more so on that side. And then you look at the states as well, where they've got their their inflation, which is. You know, we'll touch on that again later, but yeah. looking up and up at least. Yeah. But there's a lot of push and a lot of pull. And when you look at the grand scheme of things, Australia's got a really, really attractive picture. Yeah. And that is pushing and pulling a lot of people into the country, which is in turn going to need housing. And so the fact that our $9 trillion economy on housing is as strong as it is and being fueled by the lower economy, which is the superannuation economy, or rather not economy, but the... Um, Industry, I the guess. Industry, exactly, yeah. That just goes to show that there's a lot of understanding of the power behind it, and it's good that the government sees that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So let's – um. well, we've been on record, if we go back three years ago, I, I know we've been on record, I guess, getting our crystal ball out and, and fast-tracking a few years' time saying – Historically, what the Australian government has done every time there's been a downturn is they open up their board, open up the borders, ramp up migration. Obviously, when you ramp up migration, an increased population stimulates the economy to an extent. It creates, uh, helps businesses create more jobs and uh, and puts more pressure on housing and, and and supply issues. Which we've just seen migration really start to ramp up in this country, and we're going to see an interesting few years ahead of us. Um, so it's very important that they're doing what they can to control inflation now, because as that population increases, it's uh it's only going to stimulate the economy more and more. So I know you've got quite a few stats and facts here to, to go through in relation to the budget and mm. in relation to migration in the country and how they those two correlate. Um, yeah. You want to go through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Perfect. Give me, uh, let's be patient with us because there's quite a few numbers involved here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so we know that by the announcement from the government, from Labor, that in the budget announcements, they were planning to put in place a million new homes in the five years after 2024. So Correct. basically yep. taking us up towards 2029. Yep. Now we know that the Australian population currently sitting at the high 25 millions yep. is set to reach 30 million people by 2030. 30 million people by 2030. That's right. Wow. Yep. Okay. 
So some quick numbers on all of that and what that basically means. If we know that in 2021, 31% of households in Australia were rented properties, that basically means that there's 2.9 million homes that are rented in Australia at the time. With an average of 2.5 persons per household or per dwelling in Australia, because that's our average, according to the ABS, the... That basically equates to the number of about two and a half million renters in homes. So around 7,250 or seven and a half million renters are pretty much renting their homes. Now, the national vacancy rate is currently sitting at 1.1%. So low, isn't it? 1.1% is, um, is, I think, the lowest it's been in history. It's diabolic. It's madness. And that's what's causing all of this crazy forensic behavior at the moment with rents increasing. Yeah. So if we have a look at that vacancy rate, that allows basically 31,900 homes available for rent per average in Australia. Now, that sounds like a lot of properties for rent, right? Yeah. But if you actually have to cut that down into how many statistical suburbs we collect data for, yeah. as you know, uh, we're collecting around 3,500 suburbs worth of data for property investing. And property investing typically means that there has to be supportive rental data for us to analyze it. Correct. Now, based on that, if we're looking at 3,500 suburbs in Australia, that basically means that there's only around nine houses on average per month per statistical suburb to rent out. Nine houses a month in option for a person who wants to rent a place is going to create a bidding warfare throughout the Australian rental suburbs. 100% and that's what we're seeing now. It's already at that level where, where there is bidding warfare and people are offering sort of 10-15% well above sort of asking rents. Uh, it's like an auction for, for rentals and, and while it is unfortunate for for tenants, it is a conversation that we are having with investors on a daily basis in a sense that while, infl- while interest rates are increasing and having an impact on, on holding costs on a property, mm. the reality is that a lot of that is being offset, offset with this aggressive increase in rental demand around the country as much as some people may not like to hear it that's just the reality that we live in at the moment and it is a conversation that we are having often with um with our clients absolutely there's rental stress but there's also mortgage stress yeah so what has to give you know is it the chicken or the egg what comes first yeah um, unfortunately in today's climate in today's society where we've got world pandemics pushing us up we cannot have the option of of you know, relaxing one or the other. Unfortunately, we have to balance them at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's really good that we're unpacking these these numbers on on the podcast because when people hear a million new dwellings are being built, they all of a sudden think, wow, a million new dwellings, is there going to be an oversupply? Why are they building so many? But when you put that into context with the migration that's going on in the country, we can see there's already going to be a shortfall. And we don't want the vacancy rate around the country to stay where it is now. That's where we're seeing... We're seeing lots of people living in tents. In, in, we were buying in Harvey Bay a few months ago, yeah. and the caravan park there was the was the f- busiest it had been in years. And when you spoke to the locals, it wasn't from tourists because that was sort of ju- still during the peak of COVID to an extent. It was locals who couldn't find rentals. And this is happening across lots of areas in Queensland. It's happening across lots of areas in Perth. It's, it's almost happening sort of across the – in any – it's happening in, in any established yeah. region across the country. So we do not, we cannot have vacancy rates remain as low as they are now. So so we can see even if they do stay that low, these, these figures aren't going to, these dwelling approvals aren't going to help us get there. But like you said, it definitely is a step in the right direction. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's the first time we're seeing a government 
take responsibility of providing more supply in terms of investment properties. Yeah. Generally, it's been the responsibility of mum and dad investors. And I think now they've realised that it's just mum and dad investors are not going to help them get there. Essentially, we need more supply. And and there is there is opportunity in this country to provide more supply. I mean, America, if you look at the metre squared of Australia in comparison to America, mm. they're very, very similar. However, America has over 300 million people. Australia's got 25 million people. Yeah. So, and this is why we know so many regional markets are performing so well. Yeah. And I do believe with migration ramping up, it's going to bolster a lot of the regional markets as these capital cities start getting more expensive over time as well. Absolutely. The capital cities as well as the major capital regions as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a large amount of infrastructure spend going into these regions, especially around transport. Yeah. Um, and that's basically to make these other areas more accessible. Yeah. You know, there's a large, the budget spend from the last announcement was even in, in line with creating, you know, in fact, not even from the last announcement, from 2019 when they started announcing smart CBD placements in Maruchidor. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that incentive was out there so that they could bolster up the, the outer metropolitan slash regional economies. Yeah. And uh, look what it's done for the, the Sunshine Coast region. It's, it's absolutely bolstered and, and blown it up really well. Yeah. And I think the, the most important thing here is to see that all the plans that were put in place back in the day prior to COVID and during COVID to actually recover the economy have always have all come forward yeah. and have all become really well supportive of those regions that they put those funds and finances and capitals into. Yeah. Now they're recognizing that there's more necessity for better transport. And uh, we can see that by, you know, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the projects which are being put in place. Yeah. So we can touch on that in terms of the projects that are going on. Again, it was a relatively light budget and, and there's a reason why, why there were billions of dollars worth of infrastructure projects that have been approved and given the green light. However, in comparison to previous budgets, that is a lighter one. And one of the reasons for that is, first of all, we don't have the workforce to create all these, to do all these jobs at the moment. If, if the government goes and puts in hundreds of billions of dollars worth of projects and 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 tries to create all these new jobs we don't have the personnel to create those jobs at the moment nor so, do we have the housing to supply to the people that can create those jobs or or, or work and operate those jobs 100 because they will be coming from overseas exactly 100 percent. that's right and and the unemployment rate is also is so low that that essentially if they were to go Gung, gung ho with all these new infrastructure projects essentially that's all that's all that's going to do is stimulate the economy even more so which right now they're trying to put a bit of bit of a lid on but um there were a few projects that have been announced and they are quite big as well do you want me to run through them or do you want to run through them no you go ahead mate okay perfect mate so uh the budget is detailed labor's 9.6 billion dollar infrastructure package most of which was announced during the election campaign it includes funding for construction of roads and rail projects across australia so this is obviously going to help a lot of the regional, major regional markets link up with a lot of the capital cities, which is, which makes those markets so much more accessible and commutable for, for new residents looking to move out of those capital cities, right? Absolutely. Uh, we're seeing that around, you know, if you look at the Bruce Highway, the vein of Queensland pretty much, it goes yeah. from north to south. Yeah. It links up a large amount of, of suburbs which are, you know, well diverse and well stimulated through their own economies. Yeah. Once they've put these placements in place, uh, these budgets in place around the uh, around the vein, if you want to call it, yeah. essentially what that's doing is it's creating more roads and corridors to access to other areas, and uh, we've seen that in lots of you know Rocky or Rockhampton, yeah, with the ring road access. We've seen it around uh, Harvey Bay with the Maryborough Road, and and we see, we're seeing it also down in Victoria and Tassie as well with a lot of rail and and road projects to to 
connect areas and connect economies together. Yeah. So a few of the other things that were um, that were announced was three million, three hundred million dollars for Sydney roads. Obviously, <laughs> every I don't know if you're it's driving not much through. Really. It's not much, but they probably need more for the amount of potholes we have at the moment. <laughs> every single day, I feel like one of the rims on my car are about to shut up. <laughs> That's where the budgets go, mate. Your rims. <laughs> um, what else? They've got two point two billion dollars for the suburban rail link across Victoria, and then also one billion dollars for roads across Queensland and Tasmania. So. Obviously, infrastructure projects are going on. As mentioned, it's a little bit lighter than lighter than normal, um, but there is a, a reason for that. So, obviously, what the government will do is, as the economy slows down, and then as they need to stimulate the economy, they'll just ramp up infrastructure projects. Yeah, absolutely. And and just the the stimulation around the Queensland Rail projects is in line with a lot of the uh, the green energy projects, which are around these areas too. Yep. Uh, the big stimulus push for carbon emissions free projects and environments for two, 2050. There's a large amount of lithium, graphite, hydrogen projects going around to uh, to try and basically get us to that point in 2050 for carbon emissions, uh, carbon free emissions. And that's one of the reasons, and we'll touch on this on another podcast when we do it around the grounds, and we want to sort of. Uh, give the listeners an understanding as to which markets are performing exceptionally well, even with these interest rate rises and which markets aren't performing well and the reasons why. So we'll do that on another podcast. But just just briefly, one of the reasons why Perth is Perth is performing extremely well is, is because of this. It's because of the billion, billions of dollars of infrastructure that's currently happening across Western Australia. Absolutely. And this is the difference is that, you know, there are interest rate rises and there are huge amounts of shortages with rental uh, availability. But when you stimulate that with employment and you're able to actually increase budget and, and in, increase salary, that's when you get a, a better stimulated economy. And we are obviously, we do know a couple of the markets we're buying and have got those, those trends very well down packed. Yeah. And that's the difference is where you feel a lot better to buy in certain zones because you do know that the stimulus of those economies are backed by the local governments within the areas. You know, when, you, when we're looking at some of the, the markets we're buying and we're expecting up to 70% population shift just by employment in yeah. the council region, you know, that's, that's, that's going to tell you that there's a large amount of fun coming into that area from the, from the local economy, but also private sectors pushing cash into it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's empowering for us as investors to feel better about the choices we make as well. Yeah, and these are the sort of things that listeners can, can – or investors or listeners can look into. And, and that's predominantly why at the time of recording this, this podcast in November, so if you look at the last six months, you know, Sydney's dropped by 20%, Melbourne's dropped by 15%, Brisbane's just had a sharp decline. Uh, during that same time, Perth has gone up by 15%. Yeah. So it goes to show that all markets perform differently. And we'll, we'll touch on that um, when we do it around the grounds on another podcast. Looking forward to it, mate. One of the other things I wanted to touch on only briefly, because we've done quite a bit of commentary on this. Also, we're hearing it all the time as well is um, is uh, inflation and interest rates and so forth. And a few of the things that I have noticed essentially over the last week in Australia, but also over the last few months in America is inflation has actually very slightly decreased over the last three months in the United States. Now we know historically Australia tends to follow the United States with what happens there. It ends up happening here a few months later. So we've seen that historically and we've seen that with this economic cycle as well. So past three months, in the States, inflation has actually slowed down, albeit it's hardly dropped, but it has stayed pretty much stagnant and, and a very minimal drop. We also saw in the September quarter in Australia, retail spending only increased by 0.2%. So this is the first sign leading us to, to believe that people, consumers are starting to slow down. And you and I were slightly concerned about this because 
we know obviously the more debt people get into the more people spend the uh the higher we're going to see interest rate rises and and even though we're hearing all these doom and gloom and, and all these media articles and we're seeing these such aggressive interest rate rises we actually had our busiest quarter in the first quarter of 2023 so june july so July, August, and September was the busiest quarter we've had. So we were getting slightly concerned with yeah. um with the amount of debt that people are getting into still. But we are starting to see the data point towards the direction of people slowing down their spending, which is a good thing because yeah. the faster people slow down their spending, the slower we're going to see interest rate rises. And I guess uh, everything's leading us to believe that uh, there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel in that regards. And uh, I guess time will tell and we'll see what happens with future rate rises. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we're looking at inflation, it comes down to two major topics. It's people spending and people buying. Yeah. Now, people buying is, you know, we could be buying local assets or we could buy, be buying international assets. Yeah. Obviously, we know what the the, uh, the whole scheme behind, you know, increasing the inflation or increasing the interest rates is all about. It's essentially trying to do two things. It's trying to capitalize off cash, but it's also trying to stop spend. Yeah. Now, when we're looking at purchasing and spending... There are other ways, obviously, um, you know, no, by no means any sort of tax ex- expert, <laughs> but, you know, increasing temporarily GST uh, on certain goods and services may help us to slow down some spending and maybe capitalize on the, the cash which is being acquired there. Yep. You know, again, no tax expert by any means, but it, there are other options. And I don't think that necessarily penalizing the investors who are buying properties for the country and stimulating that property market because it is such a valuable asset class in the Australian economy yeah. is necessarily the, the best way to go about it. But it's not my call. Uh, <laughs> APRA has done what they've done by means of the government support and trade through the banks and the finance sectors. But yeah. I feel like there are other means to get us where we need to be quicker. Yeah. But, you know, it all does point to the right directions and the good lights. And uh, we can even see that by, you know, if we look at uh, Rate City's sort of recent announcements where they're expecting banks to be the first reaction for the big major four banks to start lowering their rates in around September, October lot next year. So, you know, that, that is good signs. And I think that's going to ripple on to lower interest rates, obviously, but then also into more affordable rental prices and, and less trauma for the rental market too. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent agree with that. You touched on, touched on APRA before, and I, I want to, I guess, get my crystal ball out and and we love a crystal ball. <laughs> make a prediction, essentially. And I, I'm doing this because last time you came on, you yeah. actually made a prediction that this last time you came on is just when interest rates started mm. increasing. And I don't know if you remember, but I remember. You, you don't forget. You don't forget. <laughs> you mentioned Was that I right? you were right. Hundred percent, you were right. You said you said I'm making a prediction here in the sense that the highest yielding markets in the country are going to actually start seeing some very strong capital growth. The reason for that is there's going to be a significant push into those markets to offset the interest rate rises that are coming forward. Well, yeah, um, exactly. Fast forward six months, those markets with the highest amount of cash flow have seen the highest amount of growth. So we thought we'd try to get two out of two and I'll make a prediction this time and see how it goes in um, uh, mid next year. So at the moment, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners and I'm, I'm sure obviously you know, APRA has a assessment rate of 3%. Mm. So they pretty much tell the banks that any new client that you want to lend money to, 
you need to assess them 3% higher than what the actual interest rate is. Their insurance buffer. Exactly, that's right. And a lot of people don't know this. So pretty much every single borrower at the moment, if they were borrowing at 3%, the bank has actually assessed them at 6%. So they do have those buffers there in that regards. However, obviously that doesn't take into consideration general cost of living increases. So we're, we're aware of that as well. Now I'm making a prediction that I do believe by the end of next year, APRA would reduce that assessment rate because that assessment rate was there when interest rates were at record lows yep. to give them a buffer for when interest rates go up. Yeah, We've just had the most aggressive interest rate rises in history. And when it stays stagnant for some time and that economy uh, slows down, there is absolutely no reason for a 3% buffer to be in place. Rather, it might be a 2% buffer or a 1.5% buffer. Now, there will always be some sort of buffer because that's the difference between Australia and America and APRA essentially regulates the banks with what they can and can't do. So I believe that there will always be a buffer of some sort, but I do think by the middle of next year, it won't be a 3% buffer. I think it might be uh, 2% or or time will tell. Yeah. It's interesting. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, that's just going to basically push buyers into the market again because access to purchase is going to become more available and affordable. Exactly. That's right. So what's that going to do to our inflation rates? Well, I think they'll only do that when inflation, when the economy slows down enough. So basically a signal to say that we're safe to go. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty like much, that. it's pretty much, this is how APRA has controlled the market historically yeah. uh, since they've come into place. They, they control the finance. At the end of the day, if people can't borrow money, they're not going to be able to buy a house. Right. Right? So APRA regulates the banks with how much money they can lend. Um, it's also APRA is the one who gives you six times debt to income ratio or seven times debt to income ratios that we know most banks have. So essentially when the market cools down enough, whether it be middle of next year, I'm, I'm predicting it'll be before middle of next year, when it cools down enough and inflation slows down to a point where they're comfortable, I believe that'll be the first point that um, that will allow servicing to become a bit more accessible to, to borrowers. Interesting. We'll see what happens. Time I think tell. that's going to be a really big push for a lot more uh, stimulus in the country, especially around those um, those movers coming back into the the metropolitan markets too, because that's currently where we're, una- we're unaffordable as well. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Mate, I think um, I think we have unpacked a a ton of value today. Is there anything else that you think we need to need to touch on? Or anything else that you think I've missed? No, at this stage, look. I mean, we always say this to everybody. You know, we get the question all the time: <laughs> Is it the right time to buy? Yeah, I love um, that question. It's 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 not the right question to ask. It's where should we be buying? And the the basic economics, you know, they they point to the fundamentals, and if you can find those fundamentals you'll be able to capitalize well off the market. You know, whatever decisions get made today are not going to be the same decisions that are made in a month or a quarter or a year's time from now. Yeah. Those will be different decisions and you'll have to make your decisions based on those decisions. Yeah. So it's never a timing-based thing. It's where is right right now yeah. for what's going on in the world. 100%. So, and, and look, if you ever ask someone in real estate, is now a good time to buy? They're always yeah. going to say yes, yeah. but I know you're comfortable with me sharing this. We are negotiating on your most recent investment today yep. as we speak. <laughs> I settled on my most recent uh, about a month ago. Yeah. So so it's it goes to show that we obviously practice what we preach and, yeah. and we're not telling our or recommending our clients to buy a property if we're not doing it ourselves. And, yeah. and we did a poll in the Lazy Equity Group uh, yes. a few months ago and we asked there's about three three thousand members in that group we asked the subscore we asked the members in the group uh what stage of the investing journey are you up to and 38 percent of the voters they said they're waiting to see what happens with interest rates mm. so that tells us 
that the day that the interest rates stop rising or the day that inflation starts yeah. going down, we're going to see 38% more demand in the property market. Yeah. That's not when you want to be getting in. Not at all. You want to get in now. Yeah. Sentiment needs to climb so you can reap the rewards. You know, get in, get in earlier than that. But, you know, as time goes on, we always see sentiment come in. It could be as traumatic today as it is in three months' time, but sentiment softens. Yeah. 100%. And that's the reality of it is that, you know, oh, what I felt... Uh, you know, three months ago, it's still the exact same as what's happening in the climate, but I'm just used to it now. Yeah. And people actually get in when they're more used to it, but it's the same amount of trauma in the market, in the finance, and whatever may be going on. They're just more used to it. 100%. So if you can fast track your thinking there, get into it and uh, get ahead of the crowds. Yeah, 100%, yeah. mate. All right, cool. Thanks a lot for coming on today. I think uh, I think we've unpacked a ton of value. I'll make sure it's not as big of a gap before we get you on again, because Thanks, I'm sure mate. the listeners are loving it. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.